Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where I answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy from Guy's Shop, and it's with me always are my co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Hello. Oh, hello. Hello. Is it, who, who are you? Hello. J- hello. That's Nathan. Yep. That's and JJ is here. Okay. All right. At the same time. We do depend on your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com and go to submit page and send it along. We also have a Patreon, and we only have one level right now. We're simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to patreon.com slash perfectfirstlayer. So what do you have going on the lab right now, JJ? So I just unboxed the Ender 3 V3 SE or whatever the newest one is. Nice. Uh, testing that one out. I'm also review still filming the old review for the Chidi Big Max 3 printer. Chidi Tex Max 3 Ultra. Whatever their biggest ultimate printer is. <laughs> uh, it's kind of interesting comparing a high-end printer and a low-end printer and... Uh, I think a lot more people would be happy with the Creality printer <laughs> than the yeah. high-end printer. I've got uh, one of those. I've I've been printing for almost a week now with one of those Ender three V three SE. Is that is that what it is? An Ender three? I think so. Yeah. S three. The, the SE stands for super easy. Yeah, oh, I mean, you nice. just plug it in, you go through a couple things, and yeah. it just prints. It prints great. Yeah, and it prints well, and it prints fast. Uh-huh. It's not like bamboo or K one fast. Yeah. But it's... For a two hundred dollar printer, yeah. I feel like I feel like your uh, expectations go down with the price point. Oh yeah. Oh, well, even if my expect, even even if I I look at that printer and I compare it to let's say a three hundred three hundred and fifty dollar printer, you don't have to do anything to it. It just works. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how the auto Z offset works. Because it, oh, it, yeah. it goes down and it, it hits the. Well, I want to see if yeah. I can try to explain it, but Nathan will say I'm wrong and he'll jump in. Jump in anytime, Nathan. Okay, so, I'll start now. <laughs> <laughs> it starts by by using the the BL touch or their their CR touch, their their bed loving thing, yeah. and it like pokes the bed and it goes back and it goes back. It does that like two or three times and then it goes down and hits the bed and it tests the pressure. And I think it's trying to get the difference between it when it does the, the CR touch and when it does the, the, the pressure sensor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. So, oh, um, okay. Well, I'm right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was the first time for everything. Um, so yeah, basically it calculates the, the height of the bed with the Z with that CR touch probe and that, and it saves that value. And then you calculate the same thing with the load cell and it saves that value and you subtract the two and that's your Z offset. But, um, the really interesting thing that they did there is they got away with just using a single load cell in the corner of the bed and it goes and does that Z offset calibration over it off into the corner of the bed. And then that lets them get away with just using one load cell instead of what you have on the Creality K1 or any of the Bamboo Lab printers where you need three load cells, which requires a bunch of extra circuitry and wires and stuff. 
Yeah. So the load cell is in the bed? Yeah. If you look in the bottom left corner, um, instead of being bolted directly to the, the Y-axis carriage, it's bolted to a load cell, which is then attached to the bed. Okay. I haven't looked at that closely. Yeah. But anyways. I was wondering why they weren't always using the load cell to probe the entire bed like the K1 or like other high-end printers yeah. do. Um, yeah. But that's super cool that they're using kind yeah. of it's still, it's It still works really well. Well, the thing that they did that I'm really impressed with is they took the only part that's like difficult for a beginner to figure out and they automated it Yep, without having to do it in a super expensive or complicated way. And that's, we, we've talked quite extensively and I'm sorry to that we've hijacked your what's going on in the shop, JJ. No, 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 no. This is a discussion we need to have. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, We've talked quite extensively about how 3D printers can be or should be in some for some people an appliance. You just plug it in, you do a few things, and it just works. And I think that printer is a really good start on going down that road mm-hmm. because it's just easy. It just yeah. plug it in and it just prints. You yeah, don't and have to do anything. Have you guys tested TPU on it yet? No, there's no profile in it for the, in the Mm. slicer. Oh, okay. It'll probably, you can probably just use a regular Ender 3 profile off of any other slicer. But Mm -hmm. um, I found that there was some red stretchy TPU that came out of my hot end when I first fired it up. So I think they tested that and it should work pretty well. All right, we'll get back to the to the Ender yeah. 3 V3 SE Pro, whatever the hell it's called. Oh, we're and waiting for the Pro model. That'll yeah. get you oh, that all metal nice. hot end and yeah. a couple other <laughs> nice CDs. So what else you got going on, JJ? Uh, just testing that, then testing out this uh, new laser camera from Mintion. <laughs> they make the Beagle camera, and uh, they sent this one over. So I've been testing that out on lasers. And then also testing out two two different ranges of printers, a high end and a low end printer. So it'll be it's very interesting the differences between yeah what a thousand dollar printer is and a two hundred dollar printer is. Well, like you said, you know, prior that that you think that you like the the, the low end printer more. Yeah, yeah. Of the the high end printer, you still have to use it uses a probe to measure the auto bed leveling, but you still have to use a piece of paper to set the Z offset. That's this $200 printer. That's automatically. Yeah. For a thousand dollars in today's day and age, thousand dollar on sale quote in quotes. Yeah. Right. That's a thousand dollars every day. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chidi, you're talking about the Chidi X max. I was just reviewing the, the X plus, which is the slightly smaller version Uh of that. And I, I went through that automatic bed leveling and then you have to do the Z offset manually. Yeah. But they made it pretty easy because you just tap the touch screen and they walk you through it pretty well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the nice thing is with the uh, Ender 3 V3, if it ever comes out of calibration or whatever, you can just rerun that procedure versus with uh, any kind of manual process, you're going to have to manually recalibrate it if anything gets off in the future. So yeah. it's it's one of those things where it's just super nice they automated it. And the, so, the really annoying part of the Chidi Max printer is how high the bed gets. 
getting your hand up in there to where you need to get the paper to the nozzle. Uh, it's just like it's uh, a big bulky printer. Yeah. And so like I, my hand is like up and over the bed and like tweaked around sideways. It's, it's hard to use because the printer is too big. It's too big. <laughs> it's yeah. Weird. It's the, the bed size. You know, if you look at the bed size on that, it's like what? 320? 325 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. If you look at that and I, I looked at the specs on that because I'm, I'm thinking of building a Voron 2.4. Mm, yeah. And I was looking to see how wide it was. And it's not much wider. It's like 400 and I think like 420 or 440 wide. Mm. And that that Cheaty X-Max 3 Plus, that thing is like 600. It's yeah. huge. It's huge. And it's heavy. Huge. It's oh, like yeah. a 60 pound printer. <laughs> so moving it around is... Should OSHA would say it's a two-person lift, but yeah. I've been struggling around to get it to one oh, person. It's too much. It's, it's too, too much. much I find that uh, having a sits one of those sit-stand desks that you can lower down actually helps when you have a printer that heavy. You just lower yeah. it all the way down. The problem the is loading. Fil- you have to load filament on the back of it. Yep. So mm. you got to like rotate it around. I've been just having it on the floor in the middle of the room, and that's the easiest way to get to the back of the printer. <laughs> That sounds well, like you can, a, you can use it as a as an end an end table. Exactly. Yeah, it's big enough. It sounds yeah, like you know, cleaning off the coils on the back of the refrigerator and pulling it off the wall and getting yeah. back there. Um, well, one thing that you mentioned is uh, you you find it annoying to have to reach in there so far to do that Z mm. offset. I wonder if they changed the um, the firmware so that it does it at the front of the build plate that might make it a little bit easier. Oh yeah. Cause I imagine having to reach in so far just to get to the nozzle would be kind the of the other downside is it's clipper, but you can't do like on most clipper machines, you can go into the web page and say auto update and update all of them on the cheaty printers. You have to like download and fully flash a full new clipper install to update the clipper firmware. You can't, it's wild. You can't modify the mainsail.cfg I haven't or fluid. I haven't, figured, I haven't spent much time on it. I've just seen other people being like, oh, you have to do a full new flash of firmware, which oh takes my. a while. It's yeah. on, on the Clipper webpage. There's no update section at the bottom. Well, they're probably running some kind of customized version of Clipper that they can't use the, the normal official procedure. It's, yeah, it's super weird. Can you SSH into it? I haven't tried yet. I just nope. use the you can SSH into it and install Kaiu or Kui or whatever yeah. the hell, whatever the hell that's called. Well, that's I don't the other. That much that's the it. other refreshing thing about the Ender Three V Three is that it's just stock Marlin, pretty much. So you just get in there, you turn it on, you can start printing instead of having to enter your Wi-Fi and do all this extra stuff. It's like yeah. one of the, it gets uh, back to simpler times. Oh, I hooked yeah. well. It's it's in my garage. Cause I don't have a room in here in my office. So I actually hooked up a, a raspberry Pi that had octoprint on it and it were octoprint works on it limited, but it mm. does work. I can still transfer files to it and start printing mm-hmm. from here in my office. I'd be really, nice. I'd be really interested to do a comparison between a $1,000 printer and four Ender three V threes <laughs> on a Sonic pad. Cause you yeah. can run up to four printers on a Sonic pad. So yeah, well, like a, 
that's the thing. The, the, the Sonic pad can't be hooked up to that yet. It doesn't have a profile for it. Yeah, I'm sure they're working on it, yeah, but yeah, just yeah. not yet. Well, it hasn't even really been, it's been released, but they're not even shipping it till, you know, sometime in September. We're lucky that mm. we, we got one. So Early versions, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when, when they have the the uh, Clipper profile on the Sonic pad, I think that's going to be very, very nice. That's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. We can get on there and do Oh, that. yeah. So what, what do you have going on in the in the lab there, Nathan? Well, I gathered all my printers up around the, on the table, and uh, people are saying it looks like Game of Thrones because I've just got this giant pile of printers that I'm sitting in the middle of. My, my, my favorite printer on there is the P1S cardboard yep. edition. Yep. I call it the P1S poor edition. Yeah. Uh, you can spell that one out in your head yeah. if you want. <laughs> um. But yeah, I just gathered all my printers around just to kind of take inventory and uh, kind of, I want to do some discussions about the just broad differences between all these different printers that are on the market at this point. I mean, things are moving so fast, but there's some broad generalizations that you can make. Like all of these high-end expensive Core XY printers are pretty similar. They're, they're all kind of copying Bamboo's philosophy, which may or may not be a good thing. Um, and then you've got your low-end machines that are uh, have questionable quality. And then you've got your low end machines that are kind of nice. So there's just a lot to discuss and without getting into specifics, it's, it's kind of fun to just look at everything as, in a whole. Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely true that there's a lot of different models and types and it, you know, and that's the other thing we've talked about quite a bit too, is do you want a tool or do you want something to tinker with? And I think that has a lot to play into it because if you'd want a tool, I think that, the core XY machines offer something really good for that, you know, quote unquote um, appliance where it just kind of works and you don't have to mess with it. And there's really no reason to mess with any of it. Well, if you look at something like, you know, the, any of the ender line, you can mess around with it. You can have some fun with it. You talk about in your video, Nathan, how you can see everything that's going on in a bed slinger. Mm-hmm you can't see anything that's going on in a chorus why and i never really thought about it, about it that way but i thought that was a really good insight that even a beginner can look at it and say this is not working right yeah so, and and being able to track it down to like the specific belt and the specific motor that's yep. having a problem yeah. um but yeah in general i i agree that these high-end core xy machines are great and they work great but as soon as they break it's like you're, you're kind of SOL because of how proprietary and compact and everything. Um, it's a lot harder to troubleshoot. So yeah, yeah. what else? It is funny as a, sorry, oh, sorry, jump in as, as a YouTuber, I love core XY bed razors. They're oh, so yeah. easy to film. I right. was trying to film the Ender three and it's the first like bed slinger I've tried to film in a while. And it's like, Oh, the print keeps moving forward and backwards. Right, <laughs> getting getting the focus right and doing time yeah, lapses yeah, yeah, is a yeah. lot nicer. Um, but even nicer than the uh, the Bamboo Lab Core XY machines and that kind of stuff has got to be the uh, the Voron two point four because mm-hmm. that one has the the gantry that moves up, so your print is actually perfectly stationary, and you yes. just have it sitting there and watch it kind of just get teleported onto the build tray. Uh huh. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really strongly considering building one of those. Just because like it looks a like a lot of fun to build. I don't I don't absolutely do not need the printer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it would be fun just to build it because it would be there's quite a bit to it. And I think I can it'd be a fun machine to tinker on. Because mm-hmm. there's just so much out there as far as mods go. Yeah. Especially with CAN bus boards now. I think one of the things that kind of made me not want to build a 2.4 a couple of years ago was that wiring harness and having to get all the Teflon wires and string all that up through like multiple cable chains. But now that you just take a single USB cord basically out, out to it, it's it's going to be a lot easier. Yeah, and Big Tree Tech now has that Big Tree Tech Pi. That's actually a full unit now for like 35 bucks that's like a mm-hmm. you know it doesn't need doesn't have like a separate board that plugs into it anymore it's a raspberry pi and it's got special um little uh pins on it that a can bus board just clips into it and it's really small and light and it really looks nice so mm-hmm. I, I think I want to try that out anyways. So, so yeah, um, aside from that, I've been, I don't know if I talked about my fiber reinforcing experiments yep. that I've been working on. Yeah. I just put some, I think last time I hadn't put metal in, in them yet, but I tried some experiments with metal. Yeah, we're talking meshes. About it. yeah. So I, I put metal meshes inside of my parts. So it's really similar to like rebar in concrete reinforced uh, with rebar but it's just like metal mesh that's embedded into the plastic parts. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. Yeah. And just so our audience knows, Nathan had said a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago that he was going to try to do a video a day. And I asked him today why he wasn't doing a video a day anymore. And he said it was my fault. I yeah. demotivated him. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so if anybody is pissed off that Nathan is not doing videos every day, it's all on me. You can you can write your hate mail to me, and I'll, ha- I'll I will gladly accept it. Yeah, I I think I was I was probably getting burnt out a little bit, and guy catalyzed that into action or inaction, <laughs> I should say. But it was good. I had some time to, when I stopped making videos constantly, I had some time to think about things and like catch up on emails and it's good. I've got some better ideas coming up now because I had some time to think. Well, that's good. I'm glad uh, it's worked out better for you because it's all about Nathan. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just teasing. So you guys ready for some questions? Yeah. I'm ready. All right. So this first one comes from Altair and he's talking about tiny 3D printers. He says, hi, I'm Altair and I love the 3D printing world and your podcast is so useful to me. Well, I'm glad you you like it. He says, I have an Ender 3 V2 Neo. It's great, but I'm not home a lot and I can't use it a lot. So could you recommend to me a tiny printer that I can move and take with me? Thanks, Altair. I both I know both you guys have have used some of those smaller form factor printers. What what do you think of it, JJ? Yeah. Um. So <clears throat> my first response when thinking about this question was 
uh, one that I gave to my brother. It's the We Do Tina 2. We do. Uh, but it, there's also a mono price. It's a clone of it. They're the exact same printers. Uh, it's a little box printer. Super simple, super small. Uh, you're not going to get the best prints out of it, but it has auto bed leveling. Uh, just prints well. Surprisingly well for the specs. <laughs> what size is the build on? Do you remember? Uh, hundred, a little over a hundred millimeters. Wow, maybe. that is tiny. So pretty small, uh, but it is fully enclosed in plastic. So just durability. If I were to throw it in a suitcase, I'd be like, "It'll be fine." Type thing. Wow, that's um, tiny. The other one I was thinking is the. It's not out. Till the probably end of year, I heard from LDO at uh, Murph. It's the upside down printer machine. Positron. Positron. There we go. Um, seems like a really cool design. It's like an upside down printer that the original design fits into a filament box, but LDO was like it could fit in this Pelican case, and it was a really small Pelican case type thing. It could fold down into. It very much not out until yeah. next year, um, but seemed like a really cool project for people who travel or want to take a printer on the go. Could would make you, a great printer. Yeah, JJ, would you recommend a V zero? I don't have one, so I, I wouldn't really be able to speak to that. Oh, a Voron V zero? Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's super durable. I could. That's the print. If I had to drop a printer <laughs> off a table, that's the printer I would drop. Um, yeah. Because it's a little metal box. And so it's a tank. It's a tank type of like a, I could throw it in a suitcase and I bet it would work just as well when I get it out after a flight type thing. Yeah. Um, so something small like that, like a Voron V0 would be great. Yeah, the the kind of sibling to that printer is the Rook by Rolahan, and that one's made out of PLA. So I probably wouldn't recommend that one just because PLA might get a little uh, warped if you threw it in a, a hot briefcase or something. Um, but yeah, and then you you talked about a couple like enclosed box type printers. Um, I'll speak to some of the printers that I think are pretty portable. Um, one is the Ender Two Pro. It's really lightweight, so if kind of weight is your constraint, then I think that one would be a pretty good choice. It's not quite as durable, I've and it it's not super compact, so but I would. You could really... you, there's only a couple screws that hold the the cantilever. Yeah, that cantilever on. You could take it out and lay it down, and right. Make... Yeah, but my issue there is it doesn't have automatic bed leveling. So okay. every time you take it apart and put it back together, you're going to have to do a little bit yeah. of bed leveling. And I think that would get annoying for me personally. Yeah. yeah. Anything else that you can recommend? Uh, what about like the, like the, the, the Troxy Crux or Rat Rig, the little one or anything like that? You, you, put, you have both of those, don't you? Yeah, um, the Tronxy Crux would be a pretty good travel printer. Same with the Rat Rig. They're both kind of heavy, and uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if they're really that small when you actually like look at the overall envelope of the space required to um, 
to like store it and move it around because they've got parts sticking off the sides versus like the V zero and the box type printers are really actually compact. Um, Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're not looking at much of a reduction in size compared to an Ender three when you you're looking at those smaller cantilever printers, mainly it's a reduction in weight. So like the Ender two pro is like extremely light. I think it's something like 10 pounds. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're going on the road for a month and traveling around, I think any one of those would be a good option. I don't know. I, I've never even really considered it. So I haven't really looked at it. And I've never really used it. My, I, I have a Voron Zero. It's small, but I don't know if I could would want to put it in a suitcase. Yeah, JJ and I actually mm-hmm. saw this printer at uh, Murph. Um, and someone in my comments section was talking about it. But the Lulzbot Mini, um, I'm not sure how well priced that machine mm-hmm. is. But it like folds up, so uh, oh. being able to travel with that seems kind of nice. And someone was saying it was nice, but in general, I think uh, travel printers is a bit of an underserved market. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it really depends on how you're traveling. Of uh, if you need to fly, then you need a certain situation versus driving. You know. Sort of uh, throw it in the back of your trunk. Yeah, because if you if you fly, that's something you're not going to be able to do on carry on. You're going to have to check it in yeah. your baggage. And in that case, I don't. I I really want to put it in a Pelican case with with some foam around it to protect it from those those guys that handle the baggage at the airport. Yeah, that's just me, anyways. Oh, it'll so. get smashed up for sure. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yes, it will. So we've got another question here and this comes from Theo. I'm saying I'm going to do this question because I know Theo. Theo was my son's best friend growing up. I've known Theo since he was about 10 years old. He's much older than that now and married and I think he has kids on the way. Anyways, so Theo says, my workplace has a Prusa Mark II Point five S that we can use for personal projects. I recently printed a set of inserts for my router table. Getting their height extremely accurate is important, and I found that the Prusa is consistently printing about 0.003 inches thicker than designed. The idea of the hole in the center of the part is consistently four thousandths of an inch undersized. Is this level of accuracy acceptable for a printer like this? What kind of things can I do to tune it? Should I just account for it in my designs or am I being too damn picky? And he writes, P.S. If you've got any printers you want taken off your hands, you should reach out to me before your son and he will, tra- <laughs> he will trade me a knife. He feels a really good knife maker. Oh, nice. So I'm, I'm probably going to take you up on that, Theo. So... <laughs> I, I just like to I just like to do a translation really quick for the uh, people that speak metric. That's like <laughs> point, point 0.1 to point 0.2 millimeters. Three thousandths of an inch uh, is point oh point seven one. millimeters. Point oh seven. Yeah, it's got to be. I would I think hundreds of, a million, hundreds of a millimeter. Anyways, that's still pretty small. Small. I mean, is he being too picky? To expect that kind of accuracy? I think yes. Um, 
what I would say is, uh, well, actually, I have some good advice. So what a lot, <laughs> I actually have good advice, so believe it or not. This time. Um, <laughs> what I, when I talked to um, Greg Paulson at Zometry, I was doing a little factory tour there. He was saying for a lot of their internal diameters, um, they'll just clean them out with a drill bit. So if you have the drill bit of the size that you need, it's really easy to just hit it with the drill bit and you'll get a really nice clean uh, hole. And that will give you like an even better surface finish on the inside of that hole because instead of having that textured layer line kind of thing going on, it'll just be like a perfectly clean hole. And um, with that small of a difference, you might even be able to do that by hand. Yeah, I've got a, a different take on this because I know what he's trying to build. What, what do you think, JJ? Yeah, I think that's a great idea to put a drill bit to it. For if you're trying to fit drill bits in there, then... Uh... Well, you have to know what a router table plate is. Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, so what it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a round... You have a router table. A router table is just a table with a hole in it, and you bolt a router up underneath it, and a bit sticks out the top, and you put a fence on it, and you can move wood through the router table instead of just holding a rod in your hand and moving the router around the piece of wood. Oh, that sounds dangerous. It can be if you don't know what you're doing. Um, So what the router table insert is, it's like a collar that fits around between the hole of the table and the bit itself because you don't want to have this big, huge gap. So you usually put like a three-inch round hole in the table for the router bit to stick up mm-hmm. and let's say you have a half inch bit so you take this router the, the router table plate it fits into that three inch hole and it may have uh, a hole in it that's let's say 13 millimeters instead of 12 millimeters for the half inch bit mm-hmm. um, so there's just the bit is exposed and he's saying if it's not if it's too thick when you put push the wood up to it it'll bonk it'll hit the the router table insert does that make sense okay yeah Uh, okay yep makes sense and if it's too low as you pass over it on the trailing edge it'll hit it'll dip yeah the router table instead Mm -hmm. so it's a thickness issue not a hole size issue okay yeah so that changed my answer then yeah my my (laughs) for this particular thing what I would tell Theo to do is drill some holes in it and get some grub screws. Grub screws are little screws that don't really, it's just like a threaded shaft that are like, you know, three or four millimeters long and you drill a hole in it and you can put it in there and you can adjust the, I would print the router table inserts shy of what you need it to be and then use like three grub screws in the router table insert to raise up and level the router table insert to the table of the the actual table itself. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah, that'll work. Um, The other thing I was thinking was uh, it might be a layer height. Like when you, when you slice something in your slicer, you've got certain layer heights, so it can only print in increments of that height. So let's say you're printing 0.2 millimeter layer height. So you can have something that's uh, like one millimeter or 
two millimeters or 2.5 millimeters, but it has to be an increment of those layers. And you could get better resolution by increasing the number of layers that you're printing or decreasing the layer height. Mm -hmm. And then you can also use, uh, you can use a scaling tool inside of the slicer. And uh, normally when you scale a model, it makes it grow and shrink uniformly across the entire model, like in all three dimensions. Um, but you can unlock the scaling tool and just shrink it in the Z axis and try and get it just right. But yeah, yeah there's ways you can fix it in the slicer or um, with a, a work, mechanical workaround, like what guy's saying. Yeah, I've I've done something like this for my bandsaw where I have a insert in my bandsaw that goes around the fence, and I had to do I think like four or five iterations of it, and when I when I finally saved it. I saved it, you know, to print out on a certain printer, which unfortunately I no longer have. (laughs) So I knew it would, when I put it in there, it would be level with the top. But I did have to mess around with it a little bit. I mean, it wasn't, you know, perfect. But what he's talking, when he's talking about, uh, you know, three or four thousandths of an inch, that's about the thickness of a sheet of paper. And that can make all the difference in the world when you're running a piece of wood over something. Yeah. And it, it catches on things that are just really, really small. So it would be nice if at some point in time you could do a printer and get to the printer and say, okay, I want it to have, you know, you know, 0. 0.05 millimeters resolution and be close to that. You know, are there printers like that out there that have that kind of perfect resolution? I don't With that level of resolution. I feel like that's the next thing we need in printers. Like we've gotten fast and then this latest Ender 3 is kind of a like, okay, now we can get these nice features cheaper. I think high quality is what I would love to see in the next few years. Mm-hmm. Really start to see. There's a lot of companies that advertise being able to get that accuracy, but that's more on the industrial side. Like, yeah. Fifty thousand yeah. dollar printers will have special <laughs> provisions in there for getting things just right, and even then, they'll probably just have you do some post processing machining to <laughs> to get it down to the exact precision that you need. Well, that's another thing you do too. You can, you know, regardless of what this particular piece is, you can still take something. You know, the 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 great thing about three D printing is you are printing plastic, especially with mm-hmm. PLA. It's very easy to modify. And you can just take that and make it intentionally thicker and just sand it down until yeah. it's the right height. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't take that much. Or shim uh, it up. You could get some blue painter's tape or something. Yeah, and shim it. Exactly. Um, so anyways, I thought that was a good question. Thanks, Theo. So we'll get on to the next one. So this question comes from Josh, and he says, Hey, guys, love the podcast. Let's talk leveling, spring, silicone spacers, wheel locks, use a piece of paper, feeler gauge, etc. For those of us that don't have a bamboo lamp printer or some machine that auto levels for you and that there are no leveling wheels to adjust, what is your guys' step-by-step process for a good level? Set the Z height, manual level, auto level. Do you use a piece of paper to gauge height? you keep the springs or swap them out for silicone spacers? And there are a ton of recommendations. He put the recommendations in quotes on the interwebs when it comes to this. And he said, I would love your opinion on it. 
So, JJ, what do you think? Springs or, or rubber spacers? I silicone think if, spacers. If you've got some sort of automat, auto bed leveling system, like a probe or, you know, one of those systems, I like to switch them to either a bunch of, I've used metal uh, bolt nuts before <laughs> to uh, hard mount it down. Silicone mm-hmm. spacers would probably be a little better, um, but bolts are a little cheaper and you can buy them at the local hardware store. Uh, something yeah. to hard mount it down because those springs will add some bounce and can take you out of bed level over time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so you've got a Voron. Yes. That does not have auto bed leveling. It does not. Correct. So you have to manually level that bed. Uh-huh. How do you do it? Do you use paper? Do you use a feeler gauge? So I, I use paper. Uh, so my, my trick is always a post-it note folded in half. Um, and I've thick. learned always from my first printer ever was a post-it note folded in half. So I know the pressure I need on a post-it note folded in half uh, to give it double the width of a post-it note. And so that's my go-to because <laughs> every piece of paper is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. And so I feel like pressure bed leveling is a skill you need to learn. Um, for every beginner bed leveler printer. And so, do you use the, the auto bed love? Not I'm saying the auto bed loving, but the automatic thing that the, the, you can put in clipper. I forgot what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Where to it'll different pr- uh, points across the bed. Yeah. It knows the three, three points across the bed. You have to program that into the, the, the printer CFG, but it's still in there. Yes. Yeah. 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 To probe the three screw points. Since this uh-huh. printer only has three screws, not most printers, which have four screws. Um, yeah. But I typically bed level off of four. Currently, my Voron has had a 1.8 millimeter nozzle for quite a while. Now, oh so uh, I haven't I haven't leveled that one in a while. Yeah, <laughs> that's the 1.8 millimeters of layer height. That's a fire hose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the nice thing about uh, using a large nozzle diameter is your tolerance for how much the bed can be off is much better. Huge and tolerance. You just hit go and it, it's like, oh, it's off by an inch. <laughs> it still works. No, it's fine. Maybe not quite that much. Do you, do you ever wish that you had automatic bed leveling on the board? Yeah, so I've looked into putting a clicky probe on there. And I think I've ordered the parts for a clicky probe. I mean, six months ago. But then I put this nozzle on there and I haven't really needed it since then. Yeah. Um, but there's several other automatic things to do on this type printer that I've thought about putting on there. Uh-huh. Currently, I don't need it, but yeah, would be I, really nice. Even I ended up putting a, uh, an inductive probe on mine. Yeah. And I just redid the, the, the body and put that on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works pretty good. Yeah. But I, I don't bed level on every print. So yeah. I've done the bed level. I, it's just nice to be able to home that thing and do all that without the without any any big grief. So what do you think, Nathan? Well, um, most printers come with automatic bed leveling these days. And if I was in the market for one, I'd, I'd just look for a printer that has it. 
Yep. Um, but the funny thing is, is that a lot of printers will have manual bed leveling and automatic bed leveling. Like the Elegoo Neptune 4, it's got a full set of four wheels that you can tension and change the bed level on. Um, and it's kind of a redundant system. For people who are like really into tuning their printers to being just right, like it's nice having that so that you can get the bed as flat as possible and then do automatic bed leveling on top of that. Um, but then you've got the other approach, which a lot of machines are going to now, like the uh, uh, Creality Ender 3 V3 SE. Um, <laughs> they don't have any kind of adjustment under the bed. It's just metal spacers or I think nylon spacers. So you just tighten it down and it just relies on the automatic bed leveling to accomplish Yeah, like, like, the, like, the, like the Pruces have never had wheels on them. Yep. It's just a really? it's just a bolt with a spacer, right? Yep. Yeah, they don't have they don't have wheels on the bottom. It took uh, everyone else a little bit to catch up to that idea, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've idea. always had I've had this question about automatic bed leveling. So when you have the probe go and do let's say a mesh, say you've got a two twenty by two twenty and it does a nine point mesh, where it's going three across and three back. Okay. And it's seeing uh, variance, let's say the, the, the largest variance between a probe point is you know, one millimeter or point, yeah. point 0.8 or 0.5, which right. can happen. Because so, I was looking at that Ender 3V3 SE, and I was getting as much as I think like a 0.8 variance between different parts of the, you know, Altogether, the biggest variance was like oh, 0.8, yeah. which is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to run that printer without automatic bed leveling. Well, because, I guess my point is, is how yeah. how much does how much of a variance will automatic bed leveling compensate for? Um, it'll compensate for as much as it can. <laughs> I mean, I think a, a good number would probably be like. Un- anything under three millimeters or so. Wow. It'll probably be fine. Because if you actually do the math, I'm going to do some math on, on air here. But, Uh-oh. Uh, Arctan. Hold on. Arctan. Arc- of, uh, Arc- uh, three over um, 220. So, oh, man. I, I got to do. I, I'll do some math and I'll get back to you in a second here. Actually. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that makes for a really exciting podcast. Exciting. We're going to do math. Uh, yeah. Everybody's favorite subject. But I've seen it compensate for some really big differences. In yeah. There. And it's uh, uh, in general, in situations like that, where you do have huge Z offsets, I would say increase the probe amount like instead of a three by three, mm-hmm. if I just like throwing it out there. If I had a horrible bed, I would probably be like, well, maybe we should do a four by four or a five by five. Yeah. Cause it really can off. I've seen videos of them offsetting huge slopes and yeah. it seems to fix it. Well, you say huge slopes, but if you had a three millimeter, um, <laughs> variance cool. between, you know, different points on the bed mm-hmm. and on a regular ender three, that would be a 0.26 degree. Uh, incline mm-hmm. so like they're really small angles small enough that you probably wouldn't even be able to see it after you print a part out on it yeah would, I mean, 
guy, you're a wood shop guy. How how uh, how much does an angle have to be off square before you'll see it? Visually, yeah, uh, it's only like maybe one degree. Yeah, so I mean, this is a quarter of a degree. If even if you're three millimeters off, which is like way more than most people would be okay well, with. My my question, another question I have is if you're off, let's say three millimeters mm-hmm. and it's compensating for that difference in height using the Z motor. And those Z motors are usually limited in speed. So you've mm-hmm. got this motion system for the X and Y that's moving at, let's say 150 millimeters and running around on this, these newer bed slingers that are, that are doing 150 millimeters on PLA is the Z motor going to be able to keep up with that? Um, if you look at the pitch of a Z axis lead screw, usually it's a two millimeter pitch. I'm just reading these numbers off the internet. So if you figure over the course of your entire bed, going from one corner to the other, if it's, um, if it's three millimeters, that would be one and a half turns of that Z axis stepper motor. But your X and Y axis motors are going to have to turn probably like 30 times in that in that right. same time. So All right. your Z axis will rarely ever fall behind in that um, kind of motion. Well, I was just wondering if the, the, the Z motor, because like I said, I've never seen a Z motor move that fast before. They're usually like really slow. So I don't know if that's like limited in software or not, but... It's like, okay, I want to do this with the X and Y, but I can't because I have to wait for the Z to change the height. And if there's that much variance, it's going to be going up and down quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's at the point where it'll make too much of a difference. Okay. Um, I'm finding several millimeters of people saying it's working. So if you've got five plus millimeters of deviation, then... Maybe, Maybe you should level the bed out a little bit. Some leveling on top of that. Yeah. But on something like like that under 3V3SE, you can't level the bed. Yeah. It, well, it is what can, it is. You can take the screws out and sand down the... Oh, I'm not going through it. Nobody's going to go through it. <laughs> Nobody's going to sand. I, you, you've done more for your cabinets, guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a cabinet. It's a, it's a, it's a 3D printer. I don't want to do that. But I, I need to do to. some work on the uh, that big Elegoo Supermax printer I've got. <laughs> Supermax. Since it's, you know, 500 millimeters across. How big is Isn't it like four, was it 420? 420, or four, yeah. 420 by 420 okay. by, four, oh my by 500, Lord, I think. That's so ridiculously big. It's huge. The other thing is the bigger the print bed is, the more that angle can be off. Um mm-hmm. Just because mm, the yeah. the it's it's like harder to get a bigger surface to be perfectly flat. So three millimeters of variance on the V zero would be a pretty steep angle, but across the big bed, it's not going to be yeah, much. Of a I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but I don't think we have ever discussed uh, on this podcast. You know which auto bed leveling you think works one better than the other just we uh, yeah we talked about it we did yeah it was a long time ago yeah I, that's I before we brought you on the podcast guy 
You mean you brought me on the podcast? Yeah. I don't think it worked like that. Anyways, so I just don't remember because I'm I'm old. Um, but that was an interesting conversation though yeah, yeah. because uh, JJ took the opposite attitude that I thought he would. He oh, was that's saying right. That we were talking about the inductive and I liked you know, probes. He liked the probe. Yeah. So, so physical. Uh, yeah, yeah, physical yeah. probes work on pretty much any surface, and yeah. inductive probes you're limited to using metallic surfaces. Basically, mm-hmm. was our takeaway. Plus, yeah. uh, the the thickness of the coating of paint on a PEI sheet will mess up an inductive probe, but a mechanical probe, since it's actually mm-hmm. touching it, it's gonna see through that. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the few times in my life where I prefer uh, physical m- properties over inductive properties. Well, I'm a big fan of that G10. Oh yeah, and I can't put it on my Voron because I have an inductive probe on. Oh yeah, what if you and got that like was a, why home. I've tried to look at like exotic probes for the V zero because I've got a G ten build plate on it. So what if you put like a metal foil in there or like a, a metal t- aluminum tape on the backside to uh, trip the probe? Uh, well, aluminum isn't going to trip the probe. I don't think is it. Would well, a yeah. magnet? I mean, because my G ten has a magnet on the back of it. To stick it to the bed. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder how thick, sort of, how well those inductive probes can get through it. Yeah, those uh, the refrigerator magnet type of stuff. Then it's not really mm-hmm. conductive in the sense that you need it to be. Oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how those inductive probes work. Fields it's working for. Yeah. So isn't it just a magnet? It well, senses... it's it's sensing it. It sends an electrical pulse through an inductor. And um, that creates a magnetic field, which reacts with a, uh, a, a conductive material. Mm-hmm. So it's just like how an inductive motor works. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've heard oh, said, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. So anyways. Um, yeah, I... I I just would really like to put a G10, but what I'm thinking of doing, because the, and plus on that Voron Zero, and I put the inductive probe on it, it's way off to the side. It's like a 30 millimeter mm. offset. It's huge. Yeah. And it actually bumps into my, my, the side of my uh, rail. So it's actually my, my bed size is a little bit smaller by about mm. two millimeters yeah. on the, the X. So I'm thinking, I've got one of those, um, Big tree tech micro probes, yeah. which is just that really super tiny, tiny BL touch. And I'm thinking of just drilling a couple holes right in the front of my cowl on the tool head and just attaching it to the front of the, the thing mm-hmm. and using that. I don't know if I'm going to or not, but I thought about it. Or you could take the bed off of your Ender 3 V3 SE and stick it onto your... Uh... Or whatever on the Vora, yeah. That, that bed's only 120 by 120. It's the only thing I don't like about the Ender 3 V3 SE. <laughs> <laughs> I printed one thing on it and then threw it in the corner. Uh, oh, the, the, the polycarbonate, no, oh, yeah. polycarbonate sucks. <laughs> I found it worked with the pretty K1 good build plate on it, and it's been great ever since. Uh, yeah, but it everything sticks to it. It just sticks too well. I can't pull the prime line off of the first print. 
Well, you flex it and the stuff comes off. I actually wait till it gets completely cool. And I take a, the, the a little, little spatula, you know, the little yeah. thing, and it comes right off. I took a knife to it. And it <laughs> My problem with the uh, CRM4 is that it has a polycarbonate build tray, and it works yeah. great, and the parts come off, but eventually the bond between the polycarbonate sheet and the metal breaks down, and then you have like a little blister formed there where it's not fully attached to the surface underneath. And then you keep pulling parts off of it and eventually it tears through Then you have a hole in the print bed. So I just spent like hours peeling off the, uh, the polycarbonate build tray on that 450 by 450 millimeter build surface. And that was not fun. Oh, it's, it wasn't removable. Well, I'm peeling it off. Uh, it's removable. So I took the, uh, the, the sheet metal flexible plate off, but um, the the polycarbonate sheet that's glued onto that is deteriorating. So I was like trying to peel the whole thing off, oh, okay. and I have like these giant globs of the adhesive because, I mean, it, it's like a pound of adhesive used to hold all that what, together. What kind? Of, what kind of adhesive? What it's like glue is it? it's like boogers. Put a hide glue on there. Yeah, let's let's talk about glue. It's like it's probably the same <laughs> stuff they use to glue. Uh, I don't know, like stuff to beer bottles. I think it's crazy they put a polycarbonate plate on that printer. Right, it's Versus... very reliable when it works. Like it you, works. you don't have to worry about parts coming off of it. Uh-huh. But when it eventually breaks down. Having to replace that whole sheet is going to be the Elegoo Supermax. I'm calling it now. Uh, they put a PEI plate on there, and it's probably one of the best PEI plates I've got. It just like works well. Um, yeah, yeah. I find that having too much bed adhesion is just as annoying as having too little. Yeah, like you'd think that. Oh man, I'd, I'd just prefer it not to fail, but having it stick on there too much the, is the, like a lot of work. The worst. Yeah example i have of too much bed adhesion is that artillery sidewinder where it literally pulled chunks of glass out of the bed i mean it's like are you kidding me really yeah really so, it's good safe yeah all right <laughs> for I, think, toys. I think that's gonna do it for the show and um as always, we really need questions and participation from you folks out there, the listeners. So make sure to go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page and ask us. Nathan, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? I'm on YouTube. Just look up Nathan Builds Robots. All right. And JJ? Yeah, you can find me on YouTube at JJ Shankles. All right. And, and where can people, if they don't want to go to our webpage... How can they email us with questions? Yeah, you can email JJ. us directly at perfectfirstlayer at gmail.com. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I can be found at Guy Shop on YouTube and most other social media as Guy's Woodshop. So thanks so much for listening. And we will talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Bye. All right. Bye.